0: And Father, we thank you that you not only know our name, but you know everything about us. Every hair that is on our head, every pain that is in our body, every ache that is in our heart, you know everything about us. You wrote all of our days down that were appointed for us. In your book in glory before any of those days ever came to pass. Everything that we see, you already saw. You've called us to be saved by faith. You've also called us to walk by faith. Knowing that one day our faith will become sight. But I thank you that we can see You move in our lives until we get to glory. We can see your presence in our lives as we seek your face, as we see you answer our prayers. Thank you for elementary children in Sydney school who know that you are the God who hears, answers prayer because you are able. And whenever we see you move that way, it gives us hope with whatever we're facing, and we can say, does anyone else need anything? Lord, may it never be said that we do not have because we have not asked. May we not be so prideful to think that we can take care of the situations in our lives. But Lord, you know that we can not only be like sheep, but we can be stubborn sometimes. And we won't seek your face. And sometimes those problems, those issues, those trials, those vicissitudes of life, will drive us to our knees and cause us to look up to heaven where our eyes should have been in the first place. So glad you're a patient God. So glad that you're a present God. And as we'll preach today, you are the King who is coming. Thank you, O God. There are battles that we're fighting and dealing with right now. May we be reminded that the King who is coming to fight the battle of battles is the God who is with us now in our lives to, to fight the battles with us that we face. So thank you, O Jesus. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I guess it's appropriate for me to preach at the moment. The Bible's my component and I will get on it. My opponent is the devil, better known as Satan. I know already some of you are relating. He's got you on a string to blind your mind with sex and drugs and lust of that kind, but resist the devil and he will flee. There's power in the blood of Jesus, the king. You see, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. Without the shedding of his blood, no remission of sin. He was double trouble, both God and man. We have a great high priest who understands. Where's my drummer at? He's the great I am. No, no, don't get him. Don't get him. I, I don't know if I got enough breath. Just want to let y'all know that uh, we can still go there if we need to. Uh, but, but sometimes I got to put it in a rap because I cannot sing. But no matter how you hear it, Christ is king. Amen. Amen. Oh, boy. All right. Christ is king. And in this series for this month, I've been trying to get us to see that, um, that he is king. So on the first Sunday of the month, uh, which was Palm Sunday, we talked about how the king serves, if you remember that message, how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He served. And then on resurrection morning, um, we talked about how the king is risen and we ought to seek him and not be a sitter. We're going to be a seeker because the king is risen. And then last week, we talked about how the king is in heaven, and he's doing so many things while he's in heaven. He's watching over us. He's interceding for us. He's saving people to the uttermost. He's protecting. He's defending so many things that he is doing while he is in heaven. And next week, we're going to talk about how the king will reign on the earth for what the Bible calls a thousand years. So the king, the king, and today we're going to talk about how the King is coming. The King is coming. And and all of this is under the moniker of ride on King Jesus. Ride on King Jesus, the King who serves. Ride on King Jesus, the King we should seek. Ride on King Jesus, the King who is in heaven. Ride on King Jesus, the King who will reign on the earth. And today, ride on King Jesus because the king is coming. Right on, King Jesus happens to be one of my favorite songs. I love it when a choir sings that. I'm gonna rip and run whenever that song is sang. Well, let me give you a little history on that song, so let me go back a little bit to 1865, 1865. Six months after the end of the Civil War, And about two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the Fisk School was founded right here in Nashville, Tennessee in 1865. The school was named after Union General Clifton B. Fisk. And as a senior officer during Reconstruction, because after the Civil War, the country went into a period of reconstructing the South. Well, this particular officer, General Fisk, was um, what we would call an abolitionist. He stood against slavery, enslavement. And so Fisk endowed the school with $30,000. That's a lot of money any kind. But when you say in 1865, that's a whole lot of money. And he also allowed the school to meet in the former army barracks, that were near the present location of Nashville's Union uh, Station Hotel. So the school met in the barracks because the war was over, and so he allowed the students to meet there. And the fifth school had its first classes on January 9th, 1866. And the first students who were so excited about learning and being educated, they ranged in age from seven to 70. So the Fisk School, right here in Nashville. In the early days of Fisk, were marked by financial struggle, as you might imagine. It was also a great deal of uncertainty. So therefore, the Fisk Jubilee Singers originated as an exceptional group of students who traveled around the country and as far as Europe, singing in order to raise money for the floundering school. So they were struggling. The Fisk uh, Jubilee Singers took what God gave them around the country and around the world to raise money. And since they were recently freed slaves, the Fisk Jubilee Singers, they were recently freed slaves. Therefore, they sang what is called Negro Spirituals or um, spiritual hymns, spiritual songs, the spirituals. They sang those, and they would sing around the country, and as I mentioned, as far as Europe. And with these spirituals, with these Negro spirituals, they sang songs like, A Little Talk With Jesus Makes It Right. Some of us grew up hearing that Just a little talk with Jesus. I'm going to tell him all about my troubles. He will hear my faintest cry and he'll answer by and by. So they will go and sing these songs that they and their ancestors sang in the cotton fields and on the plantations. Another song was the angels changed my name. Another song was every time I feel the spirit My God. And then they sang the one that many of us know, Sweet Chariot, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. And then they also would sing at these performances a song that we sing pretty much every year on Good Friday. And that is, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? And as they're singing these songs, they not only have such a crisp an excellent command of melody and harmony, uh, such a, 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 an excellent delivery, which still transcends today for those who are in the Fifth Jubilee Singers winning Grammy Awards. They still sing with such precision and excellence, but that wasn't the thing that really caused audiences to stand on their feet and give ovation after ovation. What really moved the people was the spirit by which they sang those songs. Because a lot of times we can sing songs, but our hearts are not in it. Um, And so what they were singing was not something that was theoretical. No, it was empirical. It was firsthand knowledge and experience when they sang those songs. Now on the other side of freedom, songs they used to sing in bondage. And so after hearing the fist Jubilee singers sing, Queen Victoria of England exclaimed, They must be from a city of music. To sing like that, to sound like that, they must be from a city of music. At that point, Nashville became known as Music City. I know you thought it was called that because of country music, but no, no, no. Nashville is called Music City because of the Fisk Jubilee Singers. Mm -hmm. And through their efforts, they were able to raise enough money to keep the school open and to build what is called Jubilee Hall on its current location. Jubilee Hall became the South's first permanent structure built for the education of black students. And that structure still stands today. And one of the Fist Jubilee singers' trademark songs when they would go out, uh, to, to add to the ones that I mentioned earlier, to help raise this money, was the song Ride On King Jesus. Ride On King Jesus. And as with most Negro spirituals, the author of Ride On King Jesus is unknown because many of these songs were passed down by oral tradition, because the majority of the enslaved could not read nor write. So the way that they learned music was through singing the songs. And the way they learned the things of God, the Bible, the gospel, was singing these songs that had within them scripture encased very fully and very clearly. And so the faith was being passed on in the fields and they would sing about this Jesus who they knew rode into Jerusalem while he was on earth on a donkey. Who rode in the triumphal entry, but they knew also the rest of the story that the one who was humbly riding on the colt into Jerusalem to the praises of the people, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Those praises would turn to crucify and he would die later that week. But we also know he would be resurrected, which gave them hope to sing about another entry into Jerusalem. Uh, Not just the one that's prophesied in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, but also the one that is spoken of prophetically in Revelation chapter 19. When Jesus comes back into Jerusalem, not on a donkey this time, but riding on a white horse. Not as a lamb to be slain, but as a lion to come and conquer. And so the enslaved had a powerful imagination that captivated the notion of having a king who was so powerful that no man could hinder him. And since their king could not be hindered, they believed that they could not be hindered. And so they snatched those words out of the sky by faith. And they applied them to their situations while being enslaved. And they believed that their God could not be hindered and neither could they. So with the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. And with Abraham Lincoln listening to his friend's wisdom, Frederick Douglass An escaped slave, an orator, but also a statesman and one who had the president's ear. He encouraged the president to do what many of the president's generals were suggesting during the war against the North. And that was to include those formerly enslaved Africans who are now free in those territories to come and join the Federal Union Army. President Lincoln was reluctant to do that, but he listened to Frederick Douglass, he listened to his advisors, and he allowed the formerly enslaved African men to join the army. Now, once these formerly enslaved men were permitted to join the army during the Civil War, 200,000 of them, by the way, they could be heard singing Negro spirituals, because although they were a part of the Union army, that army was still segregated. And so those soldiers who were once slaves would get together in their units and begin to sing these songs of Zion. And so many of the commanders would watch this play out, and they would chronicle about it in their journals. And they would even go so far as to write down the lyrics that these men were singing. And they had a tendency of singing these songs whenever it was time to go out into battle. So these songs were their prayers. These songs were were the theme music, if you will, because brothers always got to have some theme music. These songs was their music as they walked forth into battle. And so they would be heard singing, ride on, King Jesus, no man can hinder me. Why? Because no man can hinder you. Ride on, King Jesus, ride on, no man can hinder me. The song goes on to say, I was but young when I begun. No man can hinder me. But now my race is almost done. No man can hinder me. King Jesus rides on a milk white horse, no man can hinder me. The river of Jordan, he did cross, no man can hinder me. Ride on, King Jesus, no man can hinder me. Ride on, King Jesus, ride on, no man can hinder me. And so these songs would get in their souls And since the United States colored troop soldiers found themselves regularly facing death, they combine this hymn with a refrain from another spiritual. So now the brothers are remixing. (laughs) They combine that hymn with a refrain from another one. Because again, they were marching many times towards certain death. And they added this refrain in that great getting up morning. Fare ye well, fare thee well. In that great getting up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well. They knew where they were going if they had died in battle. But the song allowed them to face battle, not in fear, but in great confidence, because that's how their king, Jesus, faced battles. Uh, This song allowed them to face what they were going into because it was a song of victory, it was a song of justice. The United States Colored Soldiers had what we all need, and I'm going to try to preach this into myself and into you today, and that is a biblical vision of our conquering king coming from heaven, inspiring us to conquer our greatest challenges. That's what we need, a biblical vision of our conquering king who is coming from heaven May he inspire us to conquer our greatest challenges. And before I go any further and read from Revelation chapter 19, what challenges are facing you today? What battles are you having to fight? Some are facing challenges internally, which we all deal with, where we have to take thoughts captive that come into our mind and make them obedient to Jesus. You know, when Jesus saved us, he saved us not only to serve brother James, but he also saved us to fight. Not to fight for the victory because Jesus accomplished that for us, but to fight from a place of victory because the devil hasn't gotten the memo yet. So he continues to come against us. And so we need to know how to stand and having done all to stand. And in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about how believers need to dress themselves And the full armor of God. And each piece of the armor represents an aspect of who Jesus is. So when I put on the breastplate of righteousness, I'm really putting on Christ who is my righteousness. In other words, by faith, I'm considering it to be so. When I put on the belt of truth, Jesus is my truth. When I put on the gospel shoes of peace, Jesus is my peace. When I grab the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, as we'll see today, Jesus is the word of God. When I put on the helmet of salvation, Jesus is my salvation. When I pick up the shield of faith, Jesus is my shield. So when I put on the armor, I am considering it to be so that I am robed in the righteousness, the protection, the power, the strength of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And when I am weak, he makes me strong. Yes, I know we get weak sometimes, but some of us, some of us have made weakness uh, our occupation in the kingdom. We always asking other folk to pray for us. God put us in situations where you can't call out to mama and you can't call out to your father. You got to call out to God on your own. And when you go to college and, and you've never stood as a Christian before because you've been Comfortable under the protection of your parents. Now you've got to make your faith your own. And you've got to have a mindset, as Elder Sherman would say, that I am a soldier in the army of the Lord. And some of us are battling sickness in our body. But again, when we heard what God can do for our neighbor, it ought to give us hope for what he can do for us that he can heal, and so let me face this, not in fear, but in confidence, that my God is able. And if he doesn't do it, that doesn't mean I won't praise him. Or if he doesn't do it when I want him to do it, that doesn't mean I won't praise him. If he doesn't do it how I want him to do it, that doesn't mean I won't praise him. I just won't praise him once the blessing comes. I'm gonna praise him on my way to the blessing. It's a mindset. Because everything is about your faith being tested and the Lord wants us to start thinking like warriors and not worriers. Did you hear what I said? To stop being worriers and to start being warriors for Jesus. My God, the USCT had that. Lord, we need that today. Now, I'm going to read the passage from which that song that Negro Spiritual was inspired. Revelation 19, I'm going to read that, but before I read that, I have to give a warning. I have to give a warning. This is the warning. This image of Jesus that we see here in Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, is not an image that many of us are used to. It's not an image that many of us are accustomed to, and some of us are going to struggle with this today. And you're going to immediately say that this language is figurative as opposed to being literal. Because your image of Jesus is not as one who is a conquering coming king. You either still have him in the manger as a baby. Or you still have him as a lamb suffering on the cross. But we got to balance this out today. Because Jesus is not only lamb, he is lion. There are a lot of people that don't want the lion Jesus. They want the lamb Jesus. And when we start talking about judgment and the wrath of the lamb, who is also the lion, it throws people off. And when Revelation talks about this king casting people into hell and into the lake of fire. Oh, that's not literal. And when you minimize judgment to come, no doubt you minimize the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came to save us from the judgment to come. But if you don't think the judgment to come is literal, only figurative, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to suffer momentary separation from his father becoming a curse on the tree? If there's no such thing as a literal hell. You may not believe in hell, but hell believes in hell. The king is coming. He's not coming back as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. And so some of you are going to be troubled. Some of you are going to see, this is man, this is controversial. Pastor, I don't know about this, but others of us are going to be inspired. We're going to be inspired because sometimes we have to, listen to this, see and be the Jesus who made a cord of whips and and, and, and put those money changers out of the temple. Because every now and then, uh, when he walked the earth, his lion characteristics came out. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who just want to keep him as lamb, I know you got a problem again with the money changers being thrown out of his father's house. Right. Right. And he said, you will not make my father's house a den of thieves. Y'all are charging people exorbitant interest. You're you're raising prices. You're selling people these uh, messed up animals. One eye, three legs. No, 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 no. Y'all playing around here. So I have to see that Jesus in order to be that Jesus. Because every now and then we got to turn some tables over as Christians. We got to put some folk out every now and then as Christians. Oh, that's not the loving thing to do. Yes, it is. Because the same Jesus who turned tables over and put folks out was the same Jesus who sat down at tables with sinners and and spent time with Pharisees. But he's not going to make you believe. At some point, you've got to make a choice because the king is coming. Uh, I need to see and be the Jesus who called Herod a fox. We don't like that Jesus. Jesus called Herod a fox. We don't like the Jesus who... Not only, again, would teach Pharisees and be patient with them, but he also called them hypocrites to their faces. So every now and then, we've got to be that kind of Christ follower, especially if you're fighting a battle. I'm praying for someone right now who used to go to our church years ago. They watch online. Husband has been diagnosed with cancer. And I'm praying that they will rise up and have a mentality that cancer will not beat them. But in the name of Jesus, they will beat this cancer. Sherman Smith comes from a church. Pastor Jerry and Donna come from a church in Seattle, Washington, where their pastor um, had cancer. And rather than again being weak and being timid and being fearful, He rose up by the spirit of God to say, I thank God for cancer because cancer is my pastor. What? Yeah, yeah. Because it's leading me to seek God's face. Uh, It's shepherding me to read God's word even more. I thank God for this cancer. That's a mindset. That's a mentality. Usually it's woe is me. I got cancer. And I've never had it and I pray that if something like that ever does riddle my body, that my mindset will be, Lord, nothing comes into my life unless it's filtered through your loving, powerful, gracious hands. And if it comes on me, you're going to give me the grace to handle it and to walk through it. So I'm not going to give cancer the victory. I'm going to give Jesus the victory because I got a mindset of a warrior. Knocked down, but not knocked out. Because the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me. And you're going to hear it come out of my mouth. Oh, I'm healed, whether now or later. Oh, I'm healed, whether here or there. Oh, I'm healed in Jesus' name. So let me read Revelation 19, verse 11. Listen to these words. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nation. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The King is coming. When Jesus ascended up into heaven and the disciples stood there looking, Two men dressed in white said, this same Jesus who went to heaven in clouds will come back from heaven riding on clouds of power. You go forward and be witnesses in his name until he returns. Just a couple things from Revelation 19. I want to point out the first thing is the king's appearing. That's the first thing I want to see, the king's appearing. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says that when Jesus comes back, every eye is going to see him. Every eye is going to see him. Now, the return of Jesus is found in two uh, expressions. The return of Jesus begins with the rapture of the church and then in the revelation of Jesus. So in the rapture of the church, he comes back like a thief. No one sees him. It's unexpected. It's quick. The church is taken up and taken out. But when he comes back in the revelation, every eye is going to see him. When he comes back in the revelation, his feet will touch the earth. But when he comes back in the rapture, he'll be in the air saying, come up here. So his return has two phases to it, the rapture and the revelation. And here we see the revealing of Christ where heaven opens. Think of a curtain pulling back and we're waiting to see whoever is on the stage. And you're looking with great anticipation because now the curtains are rolled back, which is what revelation really means. The apocalypsis, the rolling back of the curtain of time and history, the revealing of Jesus Christ. And here he comes. And the Bible says heaven was open in verse 11. And the first thing they see is a white horse, the white horse. And remember, in the spiritual, they talked about a milky white horse. So this white horse and for uh, the people who would read or listen to John's letter around 90, 95 A.D., they knew this imagery of a white horse because in Rome, Generals rode white horses. In Rome, not only would generals ride white horses, but they would come back into the city with their troops behind them marching in victory and behind them the spoils of their victory. That being prisoners and also uh, booty that they acquired from the enemy. So they would walk down Main Street, if you will. It would be a parade while the people clapped because the warriors were coming back, led by their general. So they understood this imagery. But many of the emperors were so insecure when they saw the generals riding on white horses. uh, They said, uh, we're going to ride on white horses, too. And so many of the emperors rode on white horses. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, says that, The Antichrist will ride on a white horse. The Antichrist, who is also known as the beast, this politician who's going to try to bring the whole world together under his leadership, he rides on a white horse. But we know that the Antichrist is nothing but a counterfeit. Because when the king comes back, yeah, yeah, he's on a horse. He sat on a white horse. That's what the Bible says, on a milk white horse. Horse, the enslaved would sing. I bet when they were working in them fields, and whenever they saw a white horse, they probably said, "Is that him? Is he here? Is he coming?" But yeah. but I got I got to say something here though. The one who's riding on the milk white horse is not a milk toast person. I got to take you back to when I was in high school and I was learning some big words, milk toast. M-I-L-Q-U-E, toast, milk toast. And in school, I was like, what does that word mean? It never made sense to me because if I think of milk and toast, they don't go together. But some of y'all will dip your toast in your coffee. Mm-hmm. And, and some folks may even dip their toast in milk. But once you dip something in milk, it makes it soggy. So, God had to break the, the definition down for me of what milk toast is. Milk toast means weak. Milk toast means soggy. Milk toast means timid and feeble. So, if something is milk toast or someone is milk toast, that means they're weak, they're feeble, they're soggy. They can't bust a grape in a fruit fight. But the one on the milky white horse is not milk toast. He's the mighty God. And so there's just a couple things that we see about this king who appears. Number one, he's called faithful and true. Faithful. You can depend on him. You can bank on him. You can set your clock by him, your calendar by him. He will always be there on time. He will always be there, period. He's faithful. He's loyal. You can lean on him. You can trust in him. And not only is he faithful, he's true. Everything he tells you is going to be correct. It's not going to be a lie. He is true because he is truth. Who else is he? Verse 12 says he had a name written that no one knew except himself. So there's some exclusivity about this uh, uh, king on this white horse. Uh, Yeah, we know a whole lot about him, but there's still a lot about him we don't know. Because he said in John chapter 17 that this is eternal life. What is it, Jesus? That they might know you the one true God and Jesus whom you've sent. So eternal life is the knowledge of God or the knowing of God. So as we're in heaven worshiping and having a good time, there will never be a time in heaven where we have all the knowledge there is to know about God because he's an eternal being and we need eternity to know about him. And so Jesus has things about him, even in heaven that we don't know about. Thank God he's an eternal God like that. Then verse 13, he's called the word of God. Words begin as ideas. Uh, Then they come out your mouth. Uh, uh, He is the idea, the revelation of God. Uh, uh, We see in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And word's a spirit. But verse 14 says, but the word became What? And dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the word of God. So if you want to know what God is thinking about, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is talking about, listen to Jesus. He's the word of God. And then in verse 16, he's called the king of kings and he's called the Lord of lords. He's making his appearance here, this one on the white horse. Now, i got to look back to Matthew chapter 27 real quick. Uh, I, I got to read something because this king of kings and Lord of lords is very important. Because there, w- there will be kings of the earth coming against Israel and against Jesus in the battle of Armageddon, which Revelation chapter 16 talks about. So all these nations are going to converge. These kings who think they're someone, but he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But let me read Matthew chapter 27 beginning at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. Then they spat on him. And took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Then in verse, uh, let's see here, 36. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. He suspended between heaven and earth, hanging on the cross, verse 37. And they put up over his head. The accusation written against him this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So, what that is, is a mockery. It's a mockery. The Romans or the Europeans mocked him, the Jewish and the Hebrew people mocked him because he said he was the king. Look at the king dying. Look at the king that we're ridiculing right now with a crown of thorns. And spitting on him well there's coming a day where when the king comes back you're going to know that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords and your mockery will be swallowed up in defeat yeah. another thing about this king i got to see his actions in verse 11 he judges in righteousness he judges why because he's the judge And you don't have to worry about if his judgment is true or not or righteous. No, no, no. The scales are balanced. You're going to get, uh, rather, you're going to reap what you have sown. He will judge in righteousness. He will judge justly. Verse 11 says, he makes war. And I know it's hard right now in the season we're in with so much violence everywhere. But again, we have to be warriors. We have to be strong Because when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which we're called to pray for in the Bible, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, because there's always fighting going on in Jerusalem. But in order to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, in a sense, we're praying for war. Because the only way peace will ultimately come to Jerusalem is through war when Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a war that will lead to peace. So he makes war. Verse 11 also says, he treads the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. So, in that mind, they would take the grapes and put them in a winepress, and people would get in and start treading the grapes in order to smash them, get the juice to make wine. And so this imagery is very familiar to the people because there's no way you can tread in the wine press and it not get on your clothes. So if you're treading these red grapes, you're going to have red grape juice on your clothes. And in a minute, we're going to see how his robe is dipped in blood. The one who's treading the wine press is not treading grapes. He's treading people. And the blood will spatter on him. And, and I believe this is figurative because he's going to speak the word to destroy. Uh, so hang with me. But it does say in another part of Revelation that the blood that's going to be shed that day is going to rise as high as a horse's mane. Again, this is vivid imagery to say there's going to be a lot of blood shed. My God, I don't like this Jesus. Well, you must don't like reading the Bible. He's going to strike the nation. Psalm 9 verse 17 says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. That's in there. Now, I know, I know some of us struggle with this. Others of us like this too much where there's not much lamb in us. (laughs) Ain't much mercy, ain't much love, ain't much grace. We on that judgment side. God's going to smite folks. Where's your mercy, man? Right now, you see, when Jesus comes back, it's called the day of the Lord. But right now, we're in the day of favor, in the day of grace, which is why when he was given the scroll in the temple and he read from Isaiah 61, the, the, the prophecy about the Messiah. He was talking about what the Messiah would do, how he was anointed by God to do this and set folks free and, and, and heal and the brokenhearted. But he finished by rolling the scroll up. He never read the, the last part of it. Because it talked about the judgment of God, the day of the Lord. In other words, while he was on earth, that was not the day of judgment. That was the day of favor. So if you're under the sound of my voice, you're alive. You're in the day of favor. And God is giving you another chance to repent and come to Jesus. If you don't come to Jesus and you die lost in your sins, the day of the Lord will crush you, I guarantee so so he treads the winepress, he strikes the nations, and he will rule with the rod of iron. Genesis talks about how the scepter will not depart from Judah. Oh, Jesus will sit on David's throne. We'll talk about that next week. And then look at his apparel from this passage. His eyes were, were like a flame of fire, speaking of the intensity of his gaze and him being able to judge with purity the issues of the hearts and the works of men. He had on his head, verse 12, many crowns, many diadems, so many crowns, so many crowns, innumerable crowns. But when you read Revelation in the earlier chapters, the devil is a copycat of Jesus. He tries to do everything that Jesus does. So the beast has some crowns and the devil, the dragon has some crowns. But Jesus has many crowns. Speaking of the fact that he's Lord over all the nations, Lord over heaven and earth, Uh, man, if I walked out my house with, with, with a starter cap on, you said, man, that's cool. Pat's got a new starter cap. But if I put about 10 caps on top of the one cap, you're going to be like, what's up with him? You know? And I'm walking, trying to balance, you know, keep the. But this king of ours not only has all these crowns on his head, but he's riding on a horse on top of that. And the crowns stay up on that. Oh, he bad. He bad. He bad. He bad. He had this robe, as I mentioned, that was dipped in blood. Verse 15 says that out of his mouth will come a sharp sword. With it, he will smite the nations. So, so let's go back to Genesis. How did God create everything? By speaking. Let there be, and there was. God is so powerful, he can speak stuff into existence. He speaks. And he has the authority to speak things into destruction as well. If you were to read Zechariah chapter 14, when it talks about Jesus coming back and it says his feet will hit the Mount of Olives. As I've said in sermons past, he will not be in Washington, D.C. when he returns. His feet will hit the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. The mountain will split in two. So he's going to dismount off the horse. Y'all don't hear me. He's going to dismount off the horse and his feet will land firmly on the Mount of Olives. The mountain will split in two. And then the Bible says the soldiers that will approach basically will be shattered while standing on their feet because a sonic boom and blast will come from the mouth of Jesus. The one who said, let there be, is going to say, y'all done. And they're going to die while standing right there on their feet. It's right there in the Old Testament. Whose side are you on? And then he has on his thigh this name written. King of kings, Lord of lords. He's got a couple of things written on him. Now, did Jesus have
1: tattoos?
0: (laughs) The Hebrew people were forbidden from putting markings on their body. But Jesus wasn't a typical Hebrew person. And, And so he's writing who he is on who he is. So in case you have any doubt of who he is, just look right there at the thigh. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then it says his armies are with him. Verse 14. The armies, they're clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So the king is coming on a white horse. The armies are behind him dressed in white, riding white horses. What's going on here? Who are those people? Well, number one, if we read through the book of Revelation, The Bible lets us know in chapter 7, verse 13, that these are martyred Christians who are dressed in white. And and they were saying, Lord, when will you avenge us? And the Lord was like, just hold on. It's coming. Just hold on. Because God is the one who avenges. We don't take vengeance into our own hands. But they were asking when are you gonna revenge? In other words, the blood was crying. God, when are you going to make this thing right? They decapitated us because we named your name. We didn't take the mark of the beast. They killed us. Lord, how long? And basically the Lord was like, not long. How long? Not long. So here they are right here riding on those white horses with those white clothes going to this battle. But not only do you have the martyred saints who died during the tribulation period, you have the bride of Christ who had been taken up into heaven. Chapter four, verse one, when God says, come up here, it's a picture of the rapture when he says, come up here. And then there's this marriage supper of the lamb in the early portion of chapter 19, where the bride, that's the body of Jesus Christ, where we will be in heaven while all hell is breaking forth on earth. We're going to be at a banquet table. As the bride of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we're dressed in fine linen, white and clean. I gotta get me a white suit. Dressed in fine linen, white and clean. It's the righteousness of the saints. So who else is riding on them white horses? Oh, the church. But I gotta believe that the Old Testament saints are also in that number. So, 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 so let me go back. Oh, if that's the bride, that means that's us because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We're either going to heaven by death or we're going to heaven by rapture. Anyone could happen today. So in other words, if you know Jesus, you're part of the pride, you're in the Bible. That's you in chapter 19 at the beginning portion, and that's you right here. In other words, you're coming back on white horses with Jesus dressed in white. Now I'm going to look over there, and I'm going to see the martyred saints. I'm going to look over here. I'm going to see Moses and Abraham, we all riding these white horses following King Jesus. But watch this though. Those of us who are following Jesus don't have no weapons in our hands. How you going to go to a fight and not have no weapon? Well, you don't need a weapon when the weapon is the word of God himself. It kind of goes back to the Old Testament. You don't have to fight this battle. Just stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. So I'm going to be on my white horse doing my thing, doing my thing. And then Jesus is going to speak and watch. Oh, Lord, he's taking them out. Oh, Lord, he's taking them out. Only army that don't need no weapons. Because when God is fighting for you, my God. Oh, Oh, Lord. Now to follow him up there. You ought to be following him down here. But, but you preach that to yourself when you get home. Uh, finally, the king's adversaries. Who are they? Verses 19 and 20, the beast or this politician. Verse 20, the false prophet. Because this beast had a religious system and a false preacher. Verse 19, the kings of the earth and their armies were the adversaries of Jesus. Verse 15, the nations were the adversaries of Jesus. Verse 21 says, the rest of them were killed. Let me read verse 21. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Jesus you're gonna kill people? Yes, he will. The Bible talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that when the Lord comes back, he's gonna punish those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some of us only grew up hearing that part punishment, rejection, God killing people. Some of us grew up only hearing lamb, love, light, grace. Can we combine and put them together? And say that God is both of these things? Which is why he is not to be played with? Where is the fear of the Lord today? As James quoted from Proverbs 3. That will keep us from sinning. Well a biblical vision of our conquering king. Coming from heaven. Inspires us to conquer our greatest challenges. So if Jesus is a conqueror. Why can't I be? Oh, wait a minute. Romans chapter 8 does say that I am not only a conqueror, I'm what? More than a conqueror. So let me live like it no matter what I'm facing. If I'm marching into war or if I'm marching into a doctor's office. If I'm marching into a loan office, if I'm marching into a school that they just shot up and there's a spirit of fear trying to intimidate me, no, God hasn't given me that spirit. He's given me wisdom, but I'm going to march on in because I'm a soldier of Jesus and I'm going to love on these children and teach them what they need to know. I'm not going to succumb to fear. I'm going to live like a conqueror today. Well, Julia Ward Howard, or Howe, rather, Julia Ward Howe. She was an abolitionist. She was inspired to write the the song, The Battle Hymn of the Republic. And she wrote this song in 1861 after a visit with Union troops during the Civil War. You guys have a picture? Did, did, Did they put her up? Julia Ward Howe. She, she wrote the song, The Battle Hymn of the Republic, which says, My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. And this song became the theme song for many of the Union troops. So it circulated, and this was a song that they sang as they went into battle, being mindful of a king whose truth is marching on, who is stomping on the enemy. So they took this song, and they made it their song. Now, Martin Luther King, when he would preach, many times he would close his sermons by quoting the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Why? Because he was in a fight. He was a fight in a fight for justice and equality. He was in a fight against poverty. He was in a fight against white supremacy. He was in a fight against the enemy and political corruptness. And so, so in order to inspire the crowd and even himself, he would get to the close of his sermon and being a Baptist preacher, You got to have a good close. And and so he would close the sermon saying, glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. And the last time he preached was on April 3rd, 1968. He's in Memphis, Tennessee, and he talks about going to the mountaintop and looking over into the promised land. Saying, I may not get there with you, but we as a people will get into the promised land, which we're in right now as a church. No, it's not perfect, but it's a whole lot better than what it was. He had a vision of us coming together. He was criticized when he said black folks and white folks come together. He was criticized by black people during that time. But his vision came from the book of Revelation of every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue around the throne. So if we can do it there, why can't we do it now? Strong Tower is here because he had the courage to face the discrimination of his time. Saying that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning was the most segregated hour of the week. But he had a vision. And and while he's preaching, his friend Andrew Young said he preached the fear out of himself that night. And that's why he says, I'm not fearing anything. I'm not fearing any man. Why? Why? Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Because when you get a glimpse of who he is, you can face what you're going through down here. He's a conqueror. You be a conqueror. He was strong. You be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so I want to close with a two minute video of Dr. King preaching in Montgomery, Alabama after the march from Selma to Alabama for voting rights equality. Listen to what this great preacher said, and then we'll close in prayer.
1: I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking how long will prejudice blind the visions of men? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long, no, because truth crushed the earth will rise again. Yes sir. yes, sir. How long? Not long. Yes, sir. Because no lie can live forever. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How long? Not long? How long. Because you shall reap what you sow. Yes, sir. How long? How long? Not long. How long? How long? True forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yes, sir. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Yes, Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow keeping watch above his own. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the village where the grapes of land are stored. He's loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible Swift sword, his truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is lifting out the hearts of men before (laughs) his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah.
0: overcomers stand can all the overcomers stand all the warriors of Jesus stand our king is coming we're coming with him Lord have mercy on the lost. he's not willing that any should perish but he wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth as I close in prayer I'll be standing here and if you would like for me to pray with you I'd love to pray with you. If you don't have a relationship with God, let me pray with you. If you need a church home, come on up and fill this card out because, man, you don't need to be out here on these streets by yourself. As Sydney said earlier, this is a household of faith. This is a family. And uh, come on, walk with us until the Lord says otherwise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a revelation of your son the king of glory. We will lift up our eyes, we will lift up our heads to the king of glory. Come on, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord, give us a balanced view of who you are as lamb and lion, as the one who rode in on a donkey to be crucified and the one who is coming back on a white horse to reign, to rule and to conquer. Lord, alter our theology where we're off. Help us to read the Bible with fresh eyes, with an open heart and an open mind. Lord, you are not only love, but you are just. And your attributes are perfect in harmony. If there's someone here today and you don't have a relationship with this king, oh, you need to bow the knees of your heart now and say, Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead victoriously for me. Jesus, I surrender to you. Come into my life, Jesus, save me with everyone praying if that was your prayer Jesus save me I just want to let you know that the Bible says that if you call on the name of the Lord you'll be saved that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you are saved saved from the wrath to come saved from eternal death you are saved from your sins you are saved from the enemy you're saved. And with Christians praying, there's someone here that said, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. I, I said, Lord, I want you today. I need you today. Would you raise your hand so I can see it? You prayed a prayer, something like that. Jesus saved me. Amen. Thank God. Lord, we thank you that we could extend the gospel one more time, the good news. Thank you, Jesus. And we thank you that you're coming back. And if there's someone here who needs a church home, I'll be here at the end of service. Come on, let's make it official. Let's be about it and not just talk about it. Father, we love you. We thank you that we get to be here, that we get to worship. Lord, I pray that as we leave this house today, we'll study to show ourselves approved. We'll Wrestle with these scriptures and many, many more, for there are more prophecies about your second coming in the Bible than about your first coming. Forgive us, Lord, for being a little one-sided. But when we read those things, may we be humbled. May it cause us to shudder respectfully over who you are and that you're not a God to be played with. We thank you that we don't make you Lord, you're Lord all by yourself. We acknowledge that today. And Lord, not just for eternity, but we want to live like we believe. You're the king. Not only the king to provide for everything we need, but also the king to continue to transform us every day to be more and more like him who is perfectly balanced as lamb and lion. Thank you, God. We don't even have to pray For courage. We already got the courage. We just got to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. Be with those, Lord, who are having to face some insurmountable issues in life. They're facing things in their family. They're facing things on their job. They're facing things in this country. They're facing things in their body. But, Lord, help them to walk like one who is a child of the King. And we say, ride on, King Jesus. No man can hinder us. For we pray all of this in the mighty name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, amen. Can you hug a few people before you bounce? Come shake my hand. Come grab one of these cards. Let me know if Jesus came into your life. Have a great day.